morning and welcome to the Porch Church. We are the Wick Kids. I'm Madison, this is Taylor, and this is my brother Jackson. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Porch Church exists to shine the love and light of Jesus. We can do that by giving everyone a place to belong. Yep, so we can all grow in our faith and give ourselves away by serving others just like Jesus did. If you're looking for a place to belong, please join us at our annual meeting. We were going to do it on June 28th, but we decided to wait in, until we were there in person. Kids at the Porch can grow too. Every Tuesday on Facebook Live, we share Sunday school lessons at 9.30 a.m. The preschool lesson is on. And at 9.45 a.m., the elementary lesson is there. Oh, and if you're looking to give, you can give your tithes online. And Chase and Malia, our worship leaders, had a baby boy. Gabriel is so cute. If you can please bring creamy diapers to the porch church. Hope you have a great time at church. See you later. Porch family, good to see you all. Andrew Devaney here. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been since January since I got a haircut. I know that salons have reopened, but yeah, I might continue to keep it going. It's bringing back uh, some old nostalgic memories. Um, <laughs> what what a year 2020's been. You know, that there's this interesting phrase that I continue to hear in, in several iterations, uh, but I think has all the same sen sentiment. And it goes something like, I can't wait for things to go back to normal. Or somebody will start a sentence by saying something like, well, once things return to normal, and I think if they're brutally honestly just say something like, when is this all going to be over? And I hate to reiterate this because I know we're all very, very aware, but 2020, it's like the world turned upside down, not just our own little spheres of influence, not just our own little circles of relationships in the places that we live, but the entire world has been flipped upside down. Health issues, economic shutdowns, even to what we're facing today with um, all in all 50 states, you know, across our United States, uh, demonstrations taking place due to racial inequalities that exist in our systems and our societies. And I think for many of us, 2020 has been a revealing and exposing and probably an agonizing year. No matter where you are at, it has some way affected you. Some of us are busier, and for some of us, we're trying to manage, or we were trying to manage being teachers at home. Work has been a struggle for some and work has been accelerating for others and all of us are having different experiences within this you know, year 2020. But it feels agonizing. No matter where you're at, it feels different. And I think that there's something extremely troubling for our souls 
when we live in this space between. This space between where we are and where we want to be. This space between where we are and where the, the way that things were. The space between this where we're at now and this vague picture you know, that we have this mental imagination of how we just wish the world could be. And that troubling feeling that we experience in the space between, it only gets multiplied when the changing circumstances exist so far outside of us that there's really nothing that we can control. Waiting is extremely difficult. Living in that space between is extremely difficult. And the thing that I find interesting where I really want to encourage us today is that when you get into the scriptures, the whole biblical narrative filled with the authors, you know, the writers, even the characters, the figures that exist in this, this entire text, like the backdrop of their existence, the whole backdrop for the story, the narrative, seems to be waiting. And so I actually think scripture invites us in to this posture of learning how to wait. The biblical story invites us into this posture of faithful, obedient, expectant type waiting. You know, one of my favorite Psalms is where the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits for the Lord. And in his word, I put my hope, I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. But something fascinating I find about us as a society versus you know, the biblical story, the biblical backdrop, it, it is that for our cultures and our values, for those who live in this American way of life, waiting is like this completely negative idea. You know, just think of, uh, let's just think of a couple different examples. You're driving and you're coming up to a stoplight and it turns yellow and then it turns red and there are two lanes. And in one lane, there are two cars and in another lane, the lane that you're in, there's five or six cars. Most likely, what are you going to do? You're obviously going to change lanes and get into the lane where there are less cars, unless you maybe need to turn at the stoplight or something like that. You're at the grocery store, King Supers, Walmart, uh, Target, you name it. And after you get done shopping, you are going to make sure that you find what? The shortest lane. And if you're like me, you're gonna be looking for the shortest self-checkout because you don't wanna wait on somebody else to bag your items or your groceries. Okay, one more, you're, you're looking for a fast food restaurant and no matter how long the line is going to be, you're for sure gonna go to Chick-fil-A because Chick-fil-A's line, if, even if it's 100 cars long, you're probably gonna get through it faster than any other line of cars at a drive-thru. Chick-fil-A, uh, you know, hopefully you recognize the shout out I just gave you. But, but there's just something about the experience of waiting, especially in the American way of life, where in our culture and in our values, we are just steeped 
in the now, in the immediacy, in accomplishing things. I've heard an author say that to be a leader in America, fortunately, unfortunately, means getting things done and getting things done in the context of now, immediately, here, in the place and the time that we live. There's no time to wait. And it's like if somebody encourages you to wait, they're essentially encouraging you to miss out, to miss out on an opportunity, to miss out on a job, to miss out on a great financial move, to miss out on an amazing experience. Waiting in our society is just this negative, passive, uh, doesn't have a, a lot of, of positive sentiment around it. And, you know, for me, I feel like I'm probably one of the more impatient people that exists on planet Earth. You know, I even one of my earliest memories was when I was a, a child and I, I remember, you know, um, I was at preschool or something like that and I climbed up onto the slide and there was this girl uh, standing in front of me who was deeply afraid of going down the slide and you know, instead of being patient, encouraging her, you know, it's gonna be good, you should try it, it's really fun. I think maybe I, I got 30 seconds in and then like any four or five year old kid would do, I decided that the best way to get her to go down the slide was not to push her, uh, but, but was to bend down and to bite her as hard as I could in the side of her back. I don't remember what the punishment came with that, but what I will remember it is I feel like from the onset of who I am, there is like just no tolerance, no patience for waiting. It's the life, it's the culture, it's the values that we are steeped in. I think me, like many other Americans, like many of you, struggle with waiting. And I firmly believe that one of our greatest challenges one of our greatest opportunities in the life of faith is in the context of waiting. The reality is that most of life, you know, most of our existence here is lived in this land between where we are and where we want things to be, where we think things should be, where we wish things could be. And so the question I just want to pose today, a very, very simple question, is how do we wait faithfully? How do we wait expectantly? On an existential level, on a faith level, and how do we even wait well in all of those minute, simple details of life? And so I want to look at the life of a man named Abram. Many of you probably know him as Abraham. And if you would join me in Genesis chapter 11, maybe you have a Bible out as a family, you can read along or you can read out loud. Uh, but we'll start in chapter 11, verses 27. And I just want to use and look at Abraham's life and backdrop as a mirror for ourselves, an invitation for ourselves, and hopefully a way in which the Holy Spirit can work in our hearts and help us to continue to wait obediently and faithfully and expectantly. Genesis chapter 11. This is the account of Terah. 
Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And then these are just some of the most important words in the whole biblical narrative. But it says, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And I will, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be a blessing through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. I'm going to leave it there. And if any of you listen to that, you probably are wondering, what in the world did that have to do with waiting? But if we observe Abram, who later becomes Abraham's story, my, my hope is that it actually can be an invitation. It can be a place in which the Holy Spirit can work in your hearts. It can be an invitation to being transformed in our periods of waiting. Abram, Abraham, is one of the most central points of the entire biblical story. He becomes the character, the person, through his family line, the nation of Israel is formed. Israel is whom, you know, this as a nation is who like the whole Old Testament story is about and God's relationship with Israel. Kind of a big deal. And it's said that it is actually through Abram and his family line, through his descendants, through his children, through his offspring, that God is going to rescue, that God's salvation plan is going to be worked through and enacted. Abram literally means exalted father. But if you are listening along, what is the first thing we learn about Abram's wife, Sarai? Say it to one another. What's, what's the first thing that we learn? She's childless. She's actually barren. She cannot have children. Abram? the exalted father who can't be a father, who can't have children. And what do we learn about Abram's age in the text that we read? It says that he was 75 years old when God gave him this blessing. So the question is like, how is a 75 year old man going to be the exalted father, the thing that he hasn't been his entire life? And how is through his offspring, how is God going to bless him and bless all those who bless him? 
How is the whole world going to be blessed through the exalted father who can't have children? Like I said earlier, much of life is lived in this land between where we are, where we wish we could be, where we think we should be, where we want to be, or even at times where or what we believe God has called us to do or to accomplish. Much of life is lived in that land between. Abram is to be the exalted father but he cannot even have his own kids. He's supposed to be a blessing to all the nations, but he can't even have a children, a child. And later on, as you read the text and you read Abram's story, when he's 99 years old, 24 years later, 24 years later, he still doesn't have a child. In between, he tries to circumvent the process, sleeps with one of their slaves, Hagar has a son named Ishmael. And it, and it doesn't go well. It breeds jealousy. It breeds anger. It's this process of circumventing God's promises. But God told him he was supposed to have a child. That God, God said that he was going to make him into an exalted father and that he would bless all peoples through him. But like when? For many of us, waiting doesn't necessarily look like 25 years, but more like one hour or a few days or one week. And, and so how do you wait faithfully? And that's, you know, when Abram turns 99, that God actually promises him that his offspring will be numbered like the stars in the sky. And he makes, he changes his name to Abraham, the father of nations. It has to feel somewhat encouraging and also like a slap in the face. And it's actually one year later, 25 years later, at 100 years old, that they finally have their son. We're not talking about being the father of nations. They just finally have their own kid. And, you know, later on in the story, Abraham is even asked to sacrifice this only son as a test of faith, as a test of faithfulness. It's this crazy story, and I'm not gonna get into the details of explaining the why behind it. But it is, in fact, a story filled with waiting. And as we reflect and we look at Abram to Abraham's life, it's a story of trying to answer this question of how do we wait faithfully? How do we wait expectantly? And I love the, the, the word that the Hebrew language expresses this idea of waiting. It's the word kav. And the word kav actually describes an act of combining multiple strands and coiling to them together, making a stronger strand. The literal word means to gather or to collect. It's this very active term, like you're doing things while you're waiting. And, and out of it, comes another word, which we're all very familiar with, which is even this sermon series is named after. It's the word to hope. And out of the word waiting comes the word to hope, tikva. It's almost like to wait is to hope and to hope 
is to wait. It's to go out, it's to gather, it's to collect, it's to form that strong strand, your character, who you're becoming, the kind of person that God wants to make you into, the sort of husband that you are, the sort of wife that you are, the sort of employee that you are, the kind of person that you're becoming. Waiting is actually filled with the activities of who we become. It's filled with hope. It's filled with activity. I love the way that Jeff Mannion says it. He says, our response to God while in the land between is what will determine whether our journey through this desert will result in deep, positive growth or spiritual decline. I think that's the Holy Spirit's invitation to us. It's not like, what are we going to do on the other side of waiting? Or what are we going to accomplish? But it's, it has entirely to do with the how. Who are we becoming? In what manner will we wait? Are we going to waste these periods of waiting? Are we going to try to circumvent it? Are we going to even to try to distract ourselves from it? Are we going to wait actively? Are we going to wait filled with hope, expectancy. Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite authors, says that waiting is a period of learning. And the longer that we wait, the more we hear about him for whom we are waiting. Let me read that again. Waiting is a period of learning. The longer that we wait, the more we hear about him for whom we are waiting. Uh, the journey of following Jesus has little to do, I believe at least, little to do, and is not as concerned with what we accomplish and what we are able to do, but it actually is an invitation to who we are becoming. It's made up in the details. It's made up in the minutiae. It's made up in all those little unseen, unflashy habits that make up who we are. And all that we do is an outpouring of who we are. It's not as fixated on the destination as it is the journey. And how we journey like Abraham through a life filled with waiting. And so in 2020, what does waiting well look like for your family? What does waiting faithfully look like for you? What does waiting actively look like for you in your work or at home or in your journey of faith? How do we express the same positivity and activity, not passiveness that the psalmist expresses when he says, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I think when it boils down to it, the question is, who are you becoming now and in 2020? To get back to that earlier statement that I made, I actually think that following Jesus is never, ever an invitation. I like how I have this uh, glowing going on here. It's, it's never an invitation to return to normal. 
Never an invitation to return to normal. Never a movement back towards normalcy or complacency or the way that things were. It's always a process of being transformed into the likeness, into the very person of Jesus. And being transformed into the ways, into the patterns, and into the values of his kingdom that is coming and that is here amongst us. How is your season of waiting shaping who you are becoming? Really, how are you waiting? One more quote, Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors as well, says, waiting means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. There is hope in the waiting. There is also hope in the darkness. May God bless you all.